our podcast this week we chat to a driver I don't know why that would be of interest to anyone we're a movie podcast we're not top gear oh a driver Adam Adam we chat to Adam Driver that makes much more sense plus all the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast of things everything is fine just fine nothing to get worried about it's all good. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning who also think everything is fine, just fine, all good, nothing to worry about. Uh, first up, we have the rage-fueled, career-killing, ranting machine known only as John Nugent. But there's no rage this week. Why? Because everything is fine, <laughs> just fine, nothing to worry about. It's all good, isn't it, John? Yeah, it's fine. All good. It's really fine. We're all happy here. We're totally fine. Absolutely. It's all good. Uh, next up, <laughs> we have our geek queen, a lady whose favourite episode of the TV hit Supernatural is not just the one where Sam and Dean take off their shirts <laughs> and then roll around in the mud for a little bit. That's a good one, though. It's the one where everything is fine. Just fine. All good. Nothing to worry about. Isn't that right, Helen O'Hara? You know, there's lots of episodes that start that way and then it usually <laughs> turns out there's a gigantic monster. I don't know. What, what, I'm just saying. I haven't seen that one. It's probably fine. Is it a good one? They're all, they're all good, Chris, you know that. Yeah. Apparently they're tackling Nazi necromancers this week. I just mentioned that in passing. <laughs> really? Yeah. Genuine episode. Genuine episode, apparently. Not Nazi allusion to anything else going on at the moment. Apparently that's what's happening. I haven't seen it yet, but that is the word on the street. A Nazi necromancer. Yeah. The worst kind of necromancer. Uh, right, we have a question that is also fine. It's just fine. It's good. This is a question. Hey, it's a question about um, laughter. Okay. Need, yeah, it's good. <laughs> I so remember this is, laughter. This is from at uh, Lionel32 uh, via Twitter. And I will say, in preparation for our answers being rubbish, more yeah. so than usual, that uh, we had another question that we had lined up for this podcast and I killed it at the last minute. Now, I haven't killed it. I've pushed it back. You've tabled I, it. I've tabled it uh, for um, a couple of weeks hence. In the American sense, not the British sense. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, what's what's the difference? Well, in 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 the killed or tabled. Yeah, in British no kill uh, tabled. Killed's the same, right? Killed's the same. Okay. Yeah, but in the British terminology, if you table something, that means to table motion. That means to put it on the table. Let's discuss it. Where in America, if you table something, it means put it aside and not discuss it. I've got it. So I've tabled the tabling. Yes. I've double tabled. You've double tabled. I've table squared. Table squared. I certainly have. Uh, so this is from at Lionel32. Um, we'll get to that question in a couple of weeks' time. So we, this is one we just pulled off Twitter. Uh, pod question. What would you say is the best comedy film franchise? Now, this is from Lionel32. Lionel32 says, I'd say Wayne's World, hands down. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Wrong. But interesting. Also, uh, interesting question because there aren't that many comedy film franchises, mm. I would say. Mm. And very, very few that have gone past two films. Mm-hmm. Usually for good reason. Yep. So how many have gone past two films? The Hangover. Awesome, awesome Powers, Hangover. Awesome Powers, Naked yeah. Gun. Naked Gun. Naked Gun, yeah. Pink Actually, oh, Naked Police Gun. Police Academy. Mm. I feel like Naked Gun is a good shout here. Like, Human Centipede. Oh, no, Chris, no. Please, no. Fast and Furious. Not this week. Yep. Hey. Oh wait! Oh, I intentionally, intentionally funny, <laughs> intentionally funny comedies. Um, I would say uh, Naked Gun is not a bad show. I think those are those are pretty, pretty.
pretty solid. Pretty solid. Um, I laughed even at the third one. Shall we uh, impose some rules here? Okay. What's a franchise? See, mm. now, are you saying that a franchise is more than two films? Or once you get, once you have a second film, who was I speaking to recently? Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, for the uh, producer of Jack Reacher 2. I said the producer of Don Granger. Is Jack Reacher becoming a franchise dependent on this movie, the sequel, being a success? And he said, it's a sequel. We're already a franchise. You idiot. He didn't say that, but the subtext no, was clear. Subtext was <laughs> it usually is, yeah. yeah. Um, so, once you become, once you have a sequel, is it a franchise? Because if so, then Anchorman is a franchise. Mm. You know, yeah. or do you have to go three and beyond? Carry on, for example. <laughs> Carry on had some great films in it, and just like a, an astonishing amount of dreck as well. Mm. Uh, I, but I have a lot of affection, possibly that I wouldn't have if I went back and watched some of them. But I have a lot of affection for some of them. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to revisit. I don't want to look again, just in case I'm wrong. Given that Carry On Columbus, the last one is one of the worst films I've ever seen. Yeah, um, it was, and I kind of want to. You know, I've I've fond memories of so many of the. Yeah, the I'm just going to trust that Up the Kyber and Cleopatra and Screaming and so on were good, mm-hmm. and, and I'm just never going to re- revisit them to find out. I think that seems like the best option. I think Screaming would hold up. I think Screaming would hold up. I think Up the Kyber holds up. That that I dinner party pardon? scene, steady on. <laughs> oh, this is on. Uh, carry on, follow the camel. That's a good one. It's got Phil Silvers, isn't it? Which one's got Phil Silvers? I'm going to say that one. Okay. <laughs> You're displaying my knowledge <laughs> of the Carry On franchise. How about some of the older ones? Um, Abbott mm. and Costello, oh. uh, the Road Two movies. Mm. Yep. As in the Road Two, you know, Zanzibar. Road to Wellfield. That was a good one. Right. I like that one. That's a different no, cornflakes and enemas. No, that's not one of the. No? That's not one of the franchise. Chris. Oh, Carry On. Come on. Road to Nowhere. Zanzibar. Zanzibar. Rio. Road to Rio. Huh. Road to Rio. Yeah. Hope Pretty and Crosby. Indeed. Amazing. Yeah, I loved those films when I was uh, when I was a kid. Uh, Lauren Hardy. Yeah. Does Chaplin count as a franchise? I mean, the Little Tramp is a recurring character. I guess he. I guess he. People is. were seeing it for him. Yeah. You know, that was a. He was more the Melissa McCarthy of his era. <laughs> I don't know who. That's a little bit a more so. To. A little bit more so. Yeah. Uh, I, I I'm not a Chaplin fan. Oh, oh Chris, come on! Come Modern on. Times. Oh God! Credibility. Great dictator. I don't have any credibility, John. You know that. I know that. Let's just quit pretending and get on with it. Um, no, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan. He's just uh, plucking a moustache. No, he's not. No. He's amazing. No, he's not. Rubbish. Oh, Modern, Modern Times. Not even the best Chaplin. Ben Chaplin. Ben Chaplin. <laughs> I don't think even Ben Chaplin would agree with you. <laughs> Of course he would. Geraldine Chaplin would overrule you. Ben Chaplin would shout you down. She would look at Ben Chaplin. She'd go, there is a man who had the wherewithal to leave Game On after, (laughs) what, one season series? No one is convinced here. That is a wise decision. Char- He's not fucking Charlie around Chaplin with a little bowler like hat. The biggest star in the entire world. He like was, f- and then Ben cinema. Chaplin supplanted him. <laughs> I, I I don't even know how to deal with this post factual analysis. You, I'm sorry, you walk down any street, any town in the world with a picture of Charlie Chaplin and a picture <laughs> of Ben Chaplin. And I'm going to tell you, <laughs> you're going to get 90% recognition on one of those pictures. We'll walk down the street with a picture of Ben Chaplin and Charlie Chaplin. John, can you Photoshop me a picture of Ben Chaplin looking like Charlie Chaplin, please? No, stop it. Don't All do right. it. So if you, if you incorporate, yeah, okay. So Charlie Chaplin, obviously the best. <laughs> obviously. I mean, he just, he just is. Yeah. He just, he's so funny. If we call him a franchise. 
There's many things I could call Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> a franchise is not one of them. I'm kidding, of course. He's awesome. Yes, of course you He's are. He's awesome. Um, hmm. I don't know. I uh, I think I think it should be more than two, ideally, because I Three think... Three Stooges. Oh, yeah. Marx Brothers? No. Marx Brothers? Marx Brothers. That's, a That's a franchise. That's a franchise. That's a franchise. That's a franchise. Yeah. I mean, okay. they Three were amigos. sold as the Marx Brothers. You <laughs> Three know. Amigos are not a franchise. <laughs> Much as I wish they, they all were. All those movies, all those great movies. Oh. Little Nitty Goes to War. Do you remember that one? That was great. I just could be always say the three amigos. Uh, all right, so let's split this into two camps. Okay. All right, we'll be very, very clear about this. You have to be three films or more. Okay. All right. We're, okay. Sorry, Lion O Thirty Two, but we're we're taking over your question. We're jettisoning Wayne's World. Yeah. One and two. It's not even the best Mike Myers Airplane comedy franchise. Airplane goes out the window as well. Airplane goes out the window. Mm. They promised us Airplane Three at the end of Airplane Two. Oh. They have not delivered. So therefore, eh, eh, you go, you go to the road. N- not delivering airplane three film. <laughs> That's where you go, right? Um, so okay, what so let's put it into two camps. We have okay. a, an yieldy camp, right? Right. For old people, and then we have a modern camp uh, for police academy. <laughs> Ghostbusters, maybe. Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Now, okay, technically so, speaking, I mean, does a brand count then? So could you go for say National Lampoon? Oh, Monty Python. You know, I mean, these are not necessarily connected films, but they are sort of a franchise. You you are going because of that name. Well, if the Marx Brothers is a franchise, then Monty Python is, I suppose. I should have mailed it to Monty Python. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'm going to accept Monty Python. Okay. Uh, I I was going to throw the Beatles in for a second, so why why the hell not accept Monty Python? Because the Beatles movies are comedies. There's there's no doubt about that. Apart from Let It Be. How about um, Cornetto Trilogy? <laughs> Sorry, you just said Cornetto would make me laugh. I don't know why. I mean, it's a funny ice it's cream. It's a funny, yeah. funny There's no series. doubt about it. Go in the shops or anything? Cornetto Trilogy. Uh, yes. That yes. is a yes. franchise. Yes. That's a franchise. Yeah. yeah. Right, we're no closer to actually saying which one's the best. So I'm going to... Uh, well, if we've allied all of these now, then we've yeah. got some serious competition because before we had nothing. We'd none. So, okay, let's go through. Because Naked Gun is better than Police Academy and that's just it. Yes. As much as I have affection for Police Academy... You have affection for Police Academy absolutely 1. Won. I have affection for Police Academy 1 and Police Academy 3. Mm. Everything else can go hang yeah, as far enough. as I'm concerned. Uh, especially when Gutenberg was replaced by Matt McCoy. I mean, what I mean, even? That oh. is... There's a, there's a... Talk about downgrading. Gutenberg to McCoy. I can't think of a recent downgrade as terrible as that. Certainly nothing that happened... This week, <laughs> no, definitely There's not. No <laughs> major world event which downgraded someone really awesome no, for someone absolutely nothing, horrendous. Nothing That's, like that. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much unique. I think. Yeah, yeah. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. It's just fine. Okay. Uh, all right. So, please, Academy's gone. Yeah. Awesome powers. I love the first one. Yeah, but the third one's mm. terrible. I love the third one. The second one's terrible for me. All right. See, that's way. interesting. So we're, that's jettisoned as well. Yeah, it's gone. It's inconsistent. It's inconsistent. Right. Yeah. What were you going to say? You were, you were saying Naked Gun still? I'm I'm still saying Naked Gun. I, I still... I mean, the third one's weaker, but it's not weak. Yeah. yeah. So... Yeah. Okay, yeah. It has some good jokes. has some good jokes. All right. I submit Beverly Hills Cop. <gasps> now, I know two and three really don't quite live up to one, but... I no. still love them. I, I quite enjoy two, I three, love them though. Oh, really? Yeah, but three is the godfather of three of that trilogy, really, isn't it? <laughs> a little it? bit. I mean, a know. little bit. Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. Uh, mm, no? Nah. No? No. But, you know, hey, it's your choice, man. You're allowed to make mistakes. 
It's fine. It's how we grow as people. <laughs> uh, I am going to say Monty Python. Uh, just, just, yeah. skin of the teeth, just because, again, weak, th- weak third part. Weak third part. Meaning of life. Ugh. But on the other hand, Holy Grail and Life of Brian are Mama's two old. of the funniest comedies of all time. Yes. I don't think any that could be applied to anything else we've we've said. Even Naked Gun. Duck Soup. Oh, modern stuff, modern uh, stuff. Oh, okay, fine. The old, but get to the oldies in a second. Okay, fine. They, they died years ago. They can wait. <gasps> right. So, um, yes. Okay. In, I, well, in that case, in that judge, case, I, I would have to go Monty Python as well. Judges and, and, and then, like, meaning, meaning of life, meaning of life yeah. has got some amazing stuff. That's in good, it. Yeah. So. And of course, if you extend Monty Python as a uh, as a franchise onto all the individual projects, yes, then you have nuns in a run, and it's clearly the winner. <laughs> uh, you you also have that some less. <laughs> you have great <laughs> films. What like Fish Caught Wanda? Uh, no, that that one's okay. Oh yeah, but. Yeah. Remember the follow-up to Fish Called Wonder? I do remember the follow-up to Fish Called Wonder, Fierce Creatures. Yes. Now, I've been reading, uh, recently I just finished Michael Palin's Diaries, um, which was a fraud experience because... You he, already come home and find he, yeah, reading his diaries. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> precisely. <laughs> and he, he keeps very unpredictable hours, so it's really hard <laughs> to read over his shoulder. But uh, I managed to do it successfully. And he's very interesting on the genesis of Fierce Creatures, which just took ages and ages to get going. And they had to do loads of reshoots. And the original director wasn't available, so he'd get Fred Skepsy in to, to reshoot stuff. And it just feels a bit like Trial by Committee, where Fish Called Wanda wasn't. But it made me want to go back and revisit Fierce Creatures, because I just remember the crushing disappointment <laughs> when I first saw it. Because I yeah. love Fish Called Wanda, and um, it was really, really sad. So there we go. Judge's gavel. Monty Python. Right. Oldies. Okay. <laughs> um, well, hang on. If all these other people are, are franchises, is yeah. like Buster Keaton a franchise? You see, I think Keaton is less of a franchise than Chaplin because Chaplin had the character and that was like okay. the thing that people go but to. But the Marx Brothers didn't have one character. Yeah, well, Groucho was basically... He was yeah, one character, wasn't playing he? Himself, wasn't he? Well, in that case, I don't know whether to. I'm go- <laughs> no, I, I, I will go. I guess for the Marx Brothers because I prefer spoken comedy to physical, and they had a bit of both. Uh, whereas Chaplin obviously only had the physical, and it is glorious, mm. Christopher. Glorious. Um, but glorious. it's he didn't always just have the physical. I, mean, I know, great, great dictator. dictator I you know. know. He has one of the greatest speeches in cinema history. He does, but... And even then, I think the physical, you know, you can say a lot more with less. You, you see something like Modern Times. And that, Modern that Times sort of is great. Beautiful ending. It's very emotional and as emotional as any film with words in. I know, I just like, I just like the word <laughs> Stick play. Stick poster. <laughs> I just like the word play in, you know, A Night at the Opera. Yeah. Or, yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with Helen in this one and go for the Marx Brothers. Hurrah! And just say it's a shame that Anton Deck never made a follow-up to Alien Autopsy because then... Two follows-up. Two follow-ups, yes. <laughs> is it follows-up or follow-ups? No, it would be follow-ups. Okay. I mean, we, we'll have to revisit this question when... When they do. ...more Cop 3 gets made. <laughs> the, the whole well, thing is blown open, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, everything is up to play for at that well, point. Why has Adam Sandler made a sequel to Grown Ups but not Happy Gilmore? It's one of the great unanswered questions, it isn't is, it? Isn't mm-hmm. it? I asked him once, because I've, I've, he doesn't do interviews, yeah. and I, uh, but I was at a press conference he did for Grown Ups ah. 2. Oh. Opposite? I think. Yes. And I stood up. I said, I'm never going to get a chance to talk to Adam Sandler, my hero, my mate. And I, I, I stood up and I said, Mr. Sandler, why have you made a sequel to Happy Come On? 
I was very brave. Oh, <laughs> and, so brave. Uh, and he said, because he doesn't have the fuels of rage in him anymore that uh, once powered Happy Gilmore and a lot of his early films where he was very ranty. I would say, Adam Sandler, if you want to replenish those reserves of rage, then watch Grown Ups and Grown Ups 2. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, I think I may be a record for how long that question was. <laughs> um, so apologies. But, you know. No, that was all right. That was okay. We've, yeah, we've no. done longer. Yeah, we've we done have? Longer. We have done longer in the past. Wow. Okay. Great. We have. I'm sure of it. <laughs> anyway, uh, so there you go. That was the question. Uh, Lionel was 32, 32's question. We should answer more questions off the cuff for 800 minutes. <laughs> um, if you want to have your question read out on the Empire Podcast, then do send them in via Twitter. We're at Empire Magazine. The hashtag is, of course, Empire Podcast. Do use that. Otherwise, we won't see it. Um, I thought, weirdly, I don't think Lionel 32 did. Mm. Conspiracy. Um, we're also on Facebook as Empire Magazine and you can email us as well podcast at empireonline.com he, oh he did he did he did use the hashtag uh, and uh, which is where Lou, we, this week's original question came from via email so we do read those as well uh, right should we have some um, movie news have some yes. movie news sure mm. um, where would we like to start start at the beginning and work your way to the end that's um, that's, 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 really that's a fundamentally unhelpful piece of advice. Thank you, Chris. How about the beginning of movie news? Go all the way back. Charlie <laughs> Chaplin has been cast. Well, there was George some. Meliers. <laughs> <laughs> there was some news this week about Spider-Man: Homecoming. Uh-huh. Um, first of all, we heard a couple of different stories. First of all, we heard that Michael Giacchino will be scoring the film, which has got to be good news for all fans of nice music. Uh, and secondly, we heard that uh, Tom Holland. No, not that one. No, not Tom Holland either. Tom Holland. Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What's this historian got to do with Spider-Man? No, not the, not the historian. The director of Fright Night. No, not the director of Fright Night. playing Spider-Man. No. That's a ridiculous idea. No, Tom Holland who plays Spider-Man is playing Spider-Man in Spider-Man Homecoming. Oh, okay. You're right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. The same one who uh, played him in Civil War. He's my joint favourite, Tom Holland. Oh. Um, and he is apparently signed up for, take a deep breath, six films. Tom He's, Holland? Yeah, no, Tom Holland, who plays Spider-Man, is signed up for six Spider-Man films. Oh, that makes much more sense yeah, uh, than signing Tom Holland for six Well, months. I know, that wouldn't make any oh, sense. Oh, well, this is my favourite comedy franchise <laughs> right here. <laughs> this, is, this is it. So, yeah, so that, I mean, that shows a certain amount of uh, confidence, I guess, in the character. Uh, yeah, but but it, it is kind of standard, I guess. It is standard. Uh, there are probably extras who are signed up for 14 Marvel movies. Yeah. You know, Stan Lee can't get out of his contract, poor guy. <laughs> he's 92, leave him alone. <laughs> he may not be 92, I apologise if I've got that wrong. I believe he's 93. Okay. Um, I'm out of date. Oh no. But I may be wrong. Uh, so yeah, so the, that does include potential cameos and things. So he's not clear yet, or he claims not to be clear yet, which films those will be. It could be a sort of a Spider-Man trilogy, plus two Infinity Wars, plus Civil War. That could be all. Or it could be that Civil War doesn't count, uh-huh. and this is like th- four Spider-Mans, <laughs> two Infinity Wars, or three Spider-Mans, two Infinity Wars, yeah. and one TBC. I don't Who th- knows? I don't think there's a concept. I don't think there's a freebie in the Marvel universe. I don't think <laughs> you just do a film. No, but maybe that was separate. Maybe it was separate. Who um, knows? Yeah, six films. I mean, who signed up for nine films? Uh, uh, Sam Jackson signed up. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just thinking because. Um, Every time my football team, Liverpool, win a game at the moment, Sam Jackson's a Liverpool fan. And without fail, 
he just tweets about an hour after the result yeah. simply all in caps Liverpool <laughs> exclamation mark exclamation mark exclamation mark etc 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 and it just makes me laugh every single time so sorry just chuckled when I thought of that have you yeah. seen you know Sam Jackson often says likes to say things like motherfucker on, on his Twitter but <laughs> someone has written an article I think it was Film Drunk they wrote an article where they, they showed the different amounts of spelling that he writes <laughs> motherfucker it's actually extraordinary it's over a hundred different spellings of this word and they've analyzed his tweets over the years wow the man like is so inconsistent with his motherfucker spelling wow Uh, it's 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 quite a long word but i wouldn't say there are infinite possibilities well samuel l jackson would disagree okay so he signed for nine movies as nick fury yeah and uh the gruffalo signed for a few didn't he as as hulk probably around six many scarlet was scarlet nine as well yeah, but Hemsworth and Evans were six, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is not this is not unusual. But yeah. yeah, I just thought it was worthy of mention. At it least. is worthy of mention. Um, uh, and uh, Zendaya while, has so. has talked a little bit about her character, and uh, who is rumored to be, of course, Mary Jane Watson. Although it's being advertised as Michelle, uh, she says my character is not romantic. She's very dry, awkward, intellectual, and because she's so smart, she just feels she doesn't need to talk to people um, because her brain is so far ahead. So she comes off same. very weird. She says. Not same. Also, this week uh, they finally confirmed Birdman. I'm sorry, Michael <laughs> as Birdman. Sorry, no, the Vulture uh, for the film. So uh, that will be exciting for him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to get back into a bird suit because oh, he obviously right, okay. likes birds. I thought you were dissing Michael Keaton. No, and it, we we had that uh, that chat with him and uh, a couple of issues ago in the magazine, and he was talking about the owls in his backyard. He is a he is a bird guy, as well as the Birdman. The yes. owls are not what they seem. I did enjoy, it was a while back now, but one of our Facebook commenters, when the news came that he was going to be playing a bad guy, uh, they said, the, the quote from The Dark Knight, you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. There's some very interesting news. I think interesting is maybe the most <laughs> diplomatic way to put it. Okay. Max Landis is remaking his dad's movie. He is apparently in talks to remake An American Werewolf in London. That's writing and directing. Writing and directing, which was originally uh, written and directed by his father, John Landis. So that's that's a thing. another Landis. (laughs) Thanks, Yoda. Uh, Yoda, the movie news Jedi there, just dropping (laughs) in. He just comes in. I don't know where he comes from. Um, what do we yeah. make of this? Well, listen, he is, uh, and and I don't think he'd disagree with this, one of the most hated men in Hollywood. Um, <laughs> well, but at the same time, disagree with that, but at the same know. time, he hasn't necessarily deserved that level of hate. So I think we need to kind of give him a chance here. Uh, I mean, he's had some great ideas. Obviously, we all loved Chronicle. Mm-hmm. Um, there are reports that original versions of things he's written that maybe didn't turn out so well were a lot better than the version we actually saw. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's got some really exciting projects in the pipeline. So I think we have to kind of hope for the best here, while perhaps noting that this is one of those films that maybe didn't need a remake. Just mm. a thought. It doesn't. It doesn't need a remake. But I'm certainly intrigued to see what happens here. Is this going to open the door for <laughs> sons remaking their father's <laughs> work? So are we going to see Jaden Smith in a remake of Men in Black or something? Hey, maybe Max Spielberg will finally get a move exactly. on with the Jaws franchise. Yeah. He's got 
19 isn't to make <laughs> yeah. so just remake Jaws and then work your way up to 19 Max that's the best way to go probably yeah. Yeah, I mean, that seems sensible in other news uh, Fantastic Beasts is out in just a couple of weeks uh, we will finally learn where to find them and uh, David Yates the director in the guy's suitcase yeah well that wasn't Chris that's a spoiler it's that's a massive trailer. massive spoiler it's in the trailer he opens the suitcase and all the things come yeah, out yeah but maybe, maybe there are other ones I don't know anyway it's in a suitcase you're in his suitcase I'm not in his suitcase well. I'm, in the, I'm in this pod booth <laughs> trapped here how do we know this isn't in his suitcase <laughs> this is true wow wow it's a mind bender <laughs> anyway is. getting back to the news oh yeah yeah uh, mm. David Yates who's obviously directing the film has confirmed that Dumbledore will appear in the sequel gasp shock horror we definitely <laughs> didn't see this coming when we wrote about the prospect of it being made three years ago <laughs> But it always did seem possible, let's be honest. So he's already been mentioned. You've seen it. If you've seen the trailer, thank you, Chris. Uh, you've, you've seen that he was mentioned uh, as someone who stuck up for Newt Scamander, uh, Eddie Redmayne's character, when he th- faced being expelled from Hogwarts. <gasps> A fate worse than death, as Hermione would say. And uh, so we know he exists. We know he's around. We know he's active. We know he's already a Hogwarts professor. He's already a growing up person. We also know that at some point around this time, he made his reputation by defeating the dark wizard Gellert Grindelwald. Mm. And this week they have also confirmed that Johnny Depp will be playing <gasps> the dark wizard Gellert Grindelwald. Um, easy for you to say. <laughs> so... Uh, it does make sense that Dumbledore would at some point turn up to smite him. Uh, and we now know he will turn up in film two of five planned films, and neither to four nor to six so, films shall ye make. So the smiting won't be immediate, is what we're thinking. Well, presumably, mm. Gellert Grindelwald is the big bad and will not be <clears throat> fundamentally defeated until film number five, should they get that far. Yes. And so Dumbledore has to kind of work his way up, like Harry did, to become the man who can beat him. So is it going to be just a couple of scenes with Dumbledore? I mean, is Newt's commander still the main character? Presumably. You would, you would assume so, I right? would, I would assume so at this point, certainly. And I think maybe they'll just start working together. I don't know. And what age is Dumbledore at this stage, then? Well, he's meant to be 150-odd in the Harry Potter books, I believe, which were set in the 1990s, right. which would have him born in about the 1840s. So he'd be in his 80s, but oh, right. sort of... But he wouldn't look that he old, He wouldn't look would that old, necessarily. But he and <clears throat> he and Grindelwald are supposed to have been at least bosom buddies, if not, let's face it, boyfriends and boyfriends, yes. uh, in their youth. So that would presumably be long past at this point. Um, maybe 20 years in the past. So he should be somewhere you would think in his 40s, 50s, if he's the same age as Johnny Depp's Grindelwald approximately, which he should be, judging by what we know, I believe. And if you're a bigger Potter fan than I am, please correct me. So we can't get Gambon back then? No, it won't be Gambon, no. I saw someone on Twitter say, which I think is the perfect choice, Jared Harris. I mean, it does make a certain amount of sense, doesn't it? And it's a very elegant solution, isn't it? Mm. Because obviously, it's just, it's son of Richard Harris, who played the original Dumbledore. Mm. Oh, is he Richard Harris's son? Yeah. Are you? Yeah. You're messing with me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was just saying for anybody who didn't know. No, no, no. Okay. But I was. Okay. But also. Yeah. Ben Chaplin. No. No. <laughs> no. Okay. With is, all is that due respect to... <laughs> is he related to Ben Chaplin in some way? Because there are Chaplins. There's Una Chaplin, There's yeah. Una Chaplin, there's Geraldine Chaplin, there's Maisie Chaplin. Uh, right, so I've got something. Okay. Fifty Shades Darker. Yes. Has been rated 
R <gasps> by the what? MPAA for, and I quote, strong, erotic, sexual content, some graphic nudity, and language. Now, the first film uh, received an R rating as well for raunch and rumpy pumpy. <laughs> Uh, no, for uh, strong sexual content, including dialogue, some unusual behavior. So <laughs> we have to discern from this that it's just usual behavior in Fifty Shades Darker. Good. Yeah. Missionary only. <laughs> yes. No more than three thrusts. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> Why are you looking at me now? <laughs> Why am, I look, at me. why am I looking at you drumming my fingers on the <laughs> on the top of the desk because I'm trying not to make a joke about my wife <laughs> so, but you've so, mentioned her I've mentioned her because I didn't want to do there that because of the drinking game okay so there we go so it's been rated R are we, are we happy about that are we, we are entirely unsurprised so, uh, yeah well, Mission Impossible 6 yeah mm. it's back on yeah, it is. It's back on, everybody. The fuse has been lit. <laughs> um, that was my impression of a fuse being lit. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's all very, very exciting. It's been dated for July 2017. No, sorry, July 27, 2018, which is the same date that Warner Brothers were looking at for Aquaman. Although that might change, and there may not be an Aquaman by that point, or there may be, or who knows, anyone. But, uh, but, uh, but yes, Chris McQuarrie, having left the project, is now back on the project, and lots of people are coming back from the original, the original from the last one, Rogue Nation. So it's all very, very exciting. Uh, I look forward to that, and uh, I look forward to the twenty-four hour spoiler special podcast. Uh, <laughs> we're do yes. Well. What tall things are there left for Tom Cruise to Stephen Merchant? <laughs> oh, his biggest challenge yet. Yeah. That'd be amazing. What's happening? Go off me. Go off me. He'd say in an accent that sounded like Stephen Merchant. <laughs> okay, that could work. Yeah. yeah. Everest. We haven't had an action scene on the top of Everest. Have we not? Well, not really. I mean, there was Everest, but it doesn't feel like it's right to call that an action scene as it was more a disaster movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, Everest just made a cameo recently in um Oh, yeah, Strange. Strange, but it wasn't really an action scene. You know, I really see the mountain as a character oh, in that film. Uh, Thanks, Chris. What else could he climb up that is tall? Uh, Eiffel Tower, but it's been done. Blackpool Tower. He might be on hey, something. Hey, there you go. Hey. Absolutely. Um, Get Ethan Hunt on the slotties. <laughs> <laughs> be amazing, wouldn't Gotta it? Gotta find more two peas. Yeah. Yeah. He has to um, infiltrate a, a stag do. <laughs> oh, how about that statue of Christ the Redeemer in Rio? I don't know. Has I'm, there I'm not been sure. an action scene on that? I feel like there must have been. I mean, even Fast and Furious were Fast in the Furious, neighbourhood, yeah. but they didn't drive up the hill. So yeah. it's a lot of still effort. wide open. They didn't do any sightseeing while it's they were. It's a lot of effort. Yeah, it's got to be something tall, or he could go small. He could just you know. Yeah. No. 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 It's Ooh, Mariana's trench though. He could go like deep. That would be the the alternative. Mission Impossible Six. Tom Cruise goes deep. Right. Uh, so I'm excited about that. What else is happening that we're excited about? Lots of things. The Simpsons has been renewed for two more seasons. It's going up to its 30th season, I believe, and at this point will now be the uh, longest-running scripted primetime show in US television history. That is correct. Um, Beating? Gunsmoke. Gunsmoke. Gunsmoke, yes. Two different ways. Yes. Do you want me to nerd out about this? 
Go on. All right, so Gunsmoke is tied for the longest-running live-action TV show in the States. In the States, over here, Carnation Street beats all. But uh, with Law & Order, which both had 20 seasons. And if Law & Order hadn't been cancelled, hadn't been cancelled, stupid... Ooh. God damn it, stupid Jack McCoy just cut off in the prime of his life. Just, just breathe, Chris. <sighs> Remember to breathe. It would have beaten the record and they've gone up to 21. Now, Gunsmoke also holds records for the, long, the highest number of episodes from a live-action TV series, and that will be surpassed by The Simpsons. The Simpsons have already beaten Gunsmoke for a number of seasons, but because it's not live-action, you know, blah, 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 blah. So, there you go. Exciting yeah. times. Good. Yeah. yeah, bad day to be James Arness, though. Haha, <laughs> take that. Okay. Um... Deadpool. I've really got it in for dead people. Yeah, it's, really really, it's, it's quite you know. harsh. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I think I've got your rage. You've, you've got I a whiff of rage. Yeah, I think yeah. I have. Oh my God, it's like the beginning of 28 days later. It is. <laughs> but we need to remember is that everything's fine. Everything's fine. Definitely fine. fine. It's just okay. Nothing's gone wrong. Um, hey, we were talking about dead people and we were talking about uh, franchises and how many you need to make a franchise, which brings me neatly to Deadpool. Hey, hey not really neat. Uh, the sequel's currently obviously in development, having some complications, what with Tim Miller leaving and everything. Um, but it is still going ahead and Fox are already looking forward to a third movie, which could potentially see Daredevil. No, I keep saying that. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Which That's amazing, you genuinely do that. can't stop it. <laughs> anyway, they both wear red suits. What's a girl to do? Anyway, Deadpool number three could see Deadpool teaming up with X-Force. Daredevil. Deadpool, don't Deadpool. do that to me. Deadpool, X-Force. X-Force. Okay. So that's kind of interesting. There's been rumours of an X-Force movie for a while and it's never really happened. And it might be a slightly kind of backdoor way to kind of freshen up the X-Men universe. Because they, they say that Deadpool 2 will feature Cable. Exactly. Won't it? <clears throat> I've no idea which X-Force lineup we're looking at. I, I don't know. They're also but, looking to cast Domino as well, aren't they? And she's been in Yeah, the, but the actress they, they choose keeps falling over. <laughs> oh, God. So. Maybe they should get really Kira Knightley. She's Domino Harvey. She's a, <laughs> a bounty hunter. My name is Domino Harvey. I'm a bounty hunter. Oh, flashbacks. So, you know, uh, that's yeah. uh, that's a thing that's still happening. Um, more to the point, we've got Logan coming up in the early months of next year, which I'm it's very excited It's all very, about. very exciting. You know, if Fox do want to cast someone in that role... What, um, as, as yeah. Wolverine? No, Domino. As Domino, yeah. I believe she'll arrive promptly within 30 minutes of your money back. <laughs> Dominoes. Yeah, we got it. Please, please stop. Hey, Pacific Rim 2 is about to start filming, but it's not yes. called Pacific Rim 2. Not really. No? No, it has a title confirmed, and that title is Pacific Rim, colon, Maelstrom. Maelstrom. Which is a Maelstrom. good word that people don't <clears throat> use enough. Not male as in, not like, mailroom. No. Male as in M-A-E-L. Maelstrom. Like a big mess. Mm. Like a big sort of swirl pool. Mm. Good. Okay. Yeah, so that's happening. Good. There cool. You go. Happening right now in Sydney. Yeah. John Baega is there. When's his birthday? Is that's he not going to be back? Are you worried? I'm worried. Because oh, it's, a, it's a big birthday for him, isn't it, as well? It's a, it's a big one for old uh, John Boyega. Uh, let me just see. Yeah, he'd be 20. Uh, no, it's March. It's a March. God, was it March? He came in. It must have been. So he's got plenty of time. Plenty of time. So, yeah, John, it. if you're listening to this, and I know you are, uh, come back. 
come back to the Emperor office for your birthday on the 17th of March 2017 and we'll we'll we'll, we'll buy you cake <laughs> or we'll get a Domino's Just you're really hoping for a free Domino's out of this aren't you <laughs> I'm not I am now <laughs> I am now absolutely uh, two very quick last things because we're Sizzler. going on and on Sizzler, and on please. Uh, Jurassic Chicken World strippers. sequel is looking for Toby Jones and Rafe Spall for miscellaneous roles that will presumably see them eaten by dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, if I, Toby I, Jones survives that movie, I will be amazed. I'm going to put it right now. Yeah. I, I, every listener of the Empire podcast, I bet you ten pound. Well, hang on, this <laughs> no, don't do that. No, that's a stupid, stupid idea. Ten p. No, that's even more stupid. <laughs> I'm not very good really? at maths. <laughs> All right, I, okay. Okay. I, I, I bet you. You two, Helen and John, okay. not the listeners, five pounds each. Okay. Okay. That yeah, Toby but, but, Jones. But I agree with you. Okay, then we're all good. You. I also all agree good. with you. That means I get to save ten pounds and I can put that towards my lunchtime dominoes. <laughs> or Fantastic. maybe get to send me one for free. Just, yeah, it's not going to happen. No, it's not going to. Anyway, uh, yeah, I, I mean, Toby Jones does kind of have Dino Chow written all over him, and and mm, Rafe's ball. He doesn't have met him. I, Okay, yeah, yeah. not literally. Chris. Oh right, okay. Um, and Rafe Spall, yeah, I don't, I don't fancy his chances either. But you know, he's a lovely man, so I hope he, I hope he goes out on a high note. I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> like a screaming dinosaur. I, I hope he does. I hope he plays an opera singer. He gets <laughs> eaten. <laughs> you know, we haven't had dinosaurs in an opera house yet, and I really think that could work. The closest like, yeah. we had was that Madison Square Garden bit in Godzilla, the the Emmerich one. But let's leave that aside. Um, <laughs> and in TV news, very quickly, a couple of things. Uh, Big Bang Theory is planning a young Sheldon spin-off. Uh, presumably the end of season finale, we'll see his mother taking him to get checked that he's not crazy and him producing his famous piece of paper that he has to prove that he isn't actually a madman. Uh, I don't know. Um, and Stranger Things, we've it's been confirmed that season two will jump ahead a year in time, which is just as well because the cast will have aged a year by the time they make it. So yes. mm. that makes a certain amount of sense. Also, yes. I've just seen there on your page as well that uh, the cast, the, the Defenders, is swelling. Indeed. It really is. It really is swelling. And now uh, Elodie Young is going to be back as Electra from Daredevil it was one of the best things in Daredevil <clears throat> season 2 so that's yes. a good, new, good piece of news and uh, Foggy Nelson's back as well to mope around and argue with Matt Murdock a little bit more so that's that's exciting um, I'm just excited about the, the Defenders because I think we might finally see what the reaction was to Karen Page's appalling article <laughs> what is it to be a hero <laughs> what does it mean I oh, muse <laughs> um, <laughs> a bit Godfather. I did, didn't I? It's weird. Yeah. So that's right. about it for that news. Is about I think. It. Yeah, I think we've discussed yes. about sixteen trillion stories. Oh no! I'll tell you what we haven't discussed. Oh god! One last thing. This happened last week. Brian Singer is to direct the Freddie Mercury biopic Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, and it'll star Mr. Robot himself, Fisher Stevens from Short Circuit. No, no it'll star Rami Malek. From Mr. Robot. Okay, I mean, that doesn't uh, seem like the world's worst piece of casting. I would say he's kind of good. Yeah, physically, I think there's a resemblance there, isn't there? Yeah, he'll need to grow the appalling moustache, but, you know, he could look the part. Pretty didn't have an appalling moustache. It was appalling. It was a fine moustache. If... It was the 80s, it was a simpler time. I know, but yeah. I People just had moustaches like back then, Helen. You have to get you know, with the programme. Thanks, Chris, for 80s explaining me. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. 
I've been Mr. Fahrenheit splitting you. Um, yeah, uh, uh, intriguing, intriguing. Uh, see Brian Singer doing something else. So yeah. it's all mm. very exciting. Do we have a guest? Yes. yes. All right, let's do that. Uh, so Jim Jarmusch's latest film, Patterson, opens here in a couple of weeks' time, on the 25th of November. Uh, but because that podcast is booked up and because next week's podcast is booked up and because, frankly, we're so excited about it and its star... One Mr. Adam Driver, a.k.a. the Irish Star Wars villain Kyle Oren himself, uh, that we decided to bring it to your ears now. So here it is, in your ears, Helen O'Hara talking to Kyle Oren. Oh, sorry, Adam Driver. There Adam Driver go. and his big hair. Enjoy. Adam Driver, welcome to the Empire Podcast. Yeah, thanks uh, thanks for, for joining us. Um, so, uh, Patterson, Jim Jarmusch film. Um, you play, let me get this right, the guy's name is Patterson. Mm-hmm. He lives in a town called Patterson, and his favourite book is a book called Patterson. Is this correct? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's pretty, that's, that, that's on. That's, that's right on. It's it's thematic, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, and and he is sort of a bus driver by day, but also a poet. And I believe you learned to drive a bus. I did. Yeah. Wow. So you have a fallback career if this whole acting thing goes wrong. Yeah, I can work for the MTA. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> How long did that take? It wound up being like a three-month process because the written test is pretty easy or not. Uh, it, it can happen pretty fast. I, I mean, but I was working at the time, so I was trying to find pockets to, to, for the, the driving test. And you have to, you know, get a certain amount of hours so you feel comfortable uh, taking the test. And you have to plan when you're going to take the test uh, uh, months in advance. Uh-huh. So if I would have failed the driving test, then I wouldn't have been able to drive in the movie because we were starting driving the next week. So pressure was was on. But it wound up being three months of of uh, you know trying to parallel park in Queens. Out <laughs> <laughs> that I can imagine that that's pretty difficult. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I learned how to drive in the Midwest, and I never met. I'm like I always think it's such a like a, a feat when someone learns how to drive in New York yes. and, and then does it, but, but learning how to a parallel park and yeah, it, it, there, or just drive a bus in general in New York is, is, uh, is an exercise in patience. And does it make it a lot easier for a film like this? Because you have that, you know, you're, you're able to drive it. You don't have to sort of think about, I guess Jim doesn't have to think about shots quite as hard as he would if there was a sort of a, a driver double and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, that's, it's lots of reasons that, you know, that maybe we can get something uh, better, you know, even if it's just a couple shots that uh, we wouldn't have been able to get, you know, because you'd have to substitute with somebody else. It's, and it's also um, uh, the his physical life is very important, mm-hmm. you know, in this. I think it's also like you can't really control much on a film set or in acting in general. So I always like to have something physical that I feel like I can have a, a false sense of control. I think it's that too. But also because everything is very, you know, regimented and is very much a creature of habit and his his physical life is well-worn and we're trying to tell the story of years of doing the same thing and mm-hmm. with only a couple months to shoot that similar to memorizing lines that you know i feel that for me i know the uh, i i like to know the lines so well that i can forget them you know right. so there i'm not thinking about lines when we're we're doing a a scene i'm trying to be available for the you know the other people you're with and all, and the same thing with the physical life i don't want to suddenly get on the day be around a bunch of buttons and levers and um not know the physical life of a character and be distracted with that you know it's his he's very much um 
it's purposeful that he uh, his physical life is on autopilot so yeah. it allows him to kind of drift and t- pay attention to details that uh, he normally wouldn't or, or pay attention to details I guess end of sentence yeah I know yeah. it's, it's true and I think it, it was interesting for me watching the film that at the beginning, his poetry sounds almost absurd. You know, the, the first poem about Ohio blue tip matches. You're right. It sounds almost, almost not even childish because kids, kids' poetry always rhymes and, you know, it's sort of got sing-songy. And this one, this one felt a bit different. But by the end of the film, you're just sort of swept up in it a little bit. It's almost like you've developed a, an appreciation for poetry just by watching this film. So I imagine maybe making it was a, a, a similar effect, but maybe more so. Well, I mean, I had a very elementary knowledge of poetry. Like, I, I knew that like, I liked E.E. E. Cummings, you know, and uh, he has his uh, poem Chicago that I really liked. And they're, um, like, I knew, you know, Ginsburg's Howl. And then I've been to a lot of poetry readings and things. But uh, I didn't understand it uh, on the level that Jim did until this, um, through, through this, I got to know. Uh, have a better relationship, you know, like Frank O'Hara's lunch poems and uh, William Carlos Williams uh, beyond this is just to say, and, uh, um, Ron Padgett who wrote the poems for this, you know, is very much a part of that, that a title, which I think he hates is uh, the New York school of poets, you know, which I really like. Mm-hmm. It's, it was cool. It's a different kind of, I don't know, a different kind of feel than I, I kind of come across or maybe even expected going into the film somehow. Oh, well, I think maybe because, well, I don't know why, but uh, Jim and I share an allergy to hear uh, when you hear poems being read out loud. There's always a tone of self-importance that's, that's attached to them. <laughs> is it like, this is a poem and it's very uh, special and always like sentimental. And uh-huh. I hate hearing poems like that. I, I always find it more effective with poetry or acting or anything where, when the emotion is uh, left out of it, that the whoever's presenting it as leaving the experience for the audience as opposed to them, they themselves. So, you know, it's always easier to hear. So yeah. in reading them, we, we just tried to make the points and not worry so much about uh, what the audience um, uh, uh, the meaning or the, yeah. the emotion that the audience will attach to it because there's no way to control that. It's interesting because I go see a lot of Shakespeare plays because I, I set myself a task of seeing them all. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's the same kind of thing because there are yeah. the people who are very important. This is Shakespeare. You should listen. Yeah. And right. there are the people who make it makes feel sense. like... Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And they leave, they, leave, they leave the emotion for you, yeah. the audience, which, you know, as opposed to them. That's, exactly. Right. Um, on a slightly less highbrow note, uh, I've got to ask about Marvin slash Nellie, the dog. Right. Who, I mean, that... Uh, like, she rests in peace. I know. I heard that she died. Yeah, yeah she did. Um, but but what a mark to leave on the world, because that is one right. of the great animal performances. <laughs> it is, yeah. <laughs> best people to work... I mean, I shouldn't say best people to work with, because they're great scene, par- <laughs> scene partners in this movie, but... Uh, uh, yeah, dogs and kids you just don't know what they're gonna do you know it's a very exciting and I, <laughs> uh, that, that sounded kind of strange but they, uh, uh, yeah they're very unpredictable and you, you always I always imagine those scenes but what you don't imagine is the trainer who's just off camera screaming like you know cookie cookie to try to get someone's attention and they have to act in the midst of it um, it's uh, never a dull day with the dog on set yeah, I, 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 we did a, a panel once about animal acting. Oh, really? Um, for the for a live event that Empire did, and uh, apparently to get a, a, a Rottweiler to bark ferociously to look absolutely terrifying, they wave a little ball on a string. Yeah, which is just the greatest thing ever. You know, <laughs> that's so great. <laughs> 
I also have to ask, there was, there's an amazing scene in this movie because Patterson has this, this gorgeously loving relationship mm-hmm. with his, is it wife or girlfriend? I wasn't 100% sure. Who knows? Okay. Who knows? Um, but with Laura. With Laura. And, um, and she, she makes him one meal in particular where it's obviously dreadful. Right. Um, so, so I was just going to ask about you, what was your worst meal ever that someone's cooked for you? Have you? Did you did you go through that experience? Oh, this is so bad to call out people, but uh, uh, oh, I don't want to. I had a lot of steak. I think growing up that was just overcooked, so it was very chewy. <laughs> so I didn't really like steak until you know until uh, I was older. Mm-hmm. But, but there was a lot of bad meals, I guess. Yeah. And but I think that that's a thing, isn't it? it? When you love someone, you sort of go, "This is this is lovely, dear. Yeah, this, this is, is nice. This thank, is nice. Yeah, thanks, thank you. Mom. Thanks so much. <laughs> <laughs> Naming no names. <laughs> um, and and Patterson also has a military background. Was that something that was added in to reflect your background, or was that already sort of in the script? It, it was not in the script. He he added it um, when I said I would do it, and 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 he explained why in a way that I made sense to me that I really. I loved was uh, you know it's addressed but it's uh, or mentioned at the beginning but it's not um, mentioned really again you know and there, there's a lot of things that happen through throughout the movie that are you know he's a bus driver but he you know what what does a bus driver act like you know he's he's uh, it's not it doesn't define him he's a he's also a poet that doesn't really define him either he's all all these kind of things that um, maybe as an audience sub- subverts your expectations. You're mm. assuming something is going to happen because of these things are, you know, are, are known. But he's he's a person who happens to have been in the military, who happens to drive a bus, who happens to be into, uh, you know, writing poetry. It's not defined by any one of them. Yeah. Um, but th- th- that is the tension of the film, though, because there were so many moments where I thought, oh, I know where this is going now. And right. I was always wrong. Right, right. Much. Yeah, I love that about it. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, apart from that, the main action for these to play listening, you know, that's really, I think, a rare opportunity to get. But also that it's a relationship that's good. You know, it's like a, a marriage or a, a, a whatever it is that uh, where they give each other mutual space and respect, yeah. you know, and that's... Uh, <laughs> and the, the, a big event happens that's not really a big event, you know, and the, that that uh, um, the, the humor in that is a, that's definitely a testament to Jim's sense of humor, but I think it's just really funny that that, uh, without giving it away, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah right. Although a few reviews have done so, people listening oh, okay. should be careful um, right, out right. there. Um, I wanted to ask as well about uh, Silence that you've got coming up. Uh-huh. I've read the novel and it's stunning. Yeah, right. Um, and this is something that Martin Scorsese has been working on for what, 26 years, years. Yeah. 28 wow yeah. um, so how was how was the experience of working with him I mean all very surreal I mean similar to Jim in that you meet these people who you've admired their movies forever and, and you it could very easily be an environment where you show up on set and they you feel like they would be justified in being like okay I've thought about this for 28 years this is what we're going to do you're going to go here and then uh, uh, but that's not the way it is at all they still have this sense of uh you really see them as young filmmakers in a, alone or, or uh, in a room with their friends trying to figure out how to make the best version of the story in the time that they have you know and using their resources to do it so even though he's wanted to make it for so long 
he definitely showed up on the day and was willing to throw all of it away and sacrifice to something better or that was happening in the moment. And I think as, you know, a young actor watching someone at that point in his career still have that kind of collaborative spirit is very, uh, or way of working is very inspiring. Mm. You know, you, you hear that, I think, about many of the greats, about the Spielbergs and the Scorseses yeah. and, and those guys, that they're still really excited by it. All of oh yeah, they still have a youthful ambition and trying to get it not necessarily right, but do the best version of it, you know, and and still tort openly, you know, not tortured, I should say, but openly, you know, uh, unsure, and that's uh, is really exciting. And I've got to work with all these great people, and that's that that would be the main theme, I think. That uh, I mean, along with you know specificity and storytelling and all like they have they're very aware of the story that they're trying to tell but i uh but that they're all um very collaborative you know yeah and also does scorsese maybe even more so than the most is makes his films well that's not necessarily true but he's very they're very personal you know mm-hmm. and after i've you know worked with him i you know go back and watch his movies and see so much of him and all of his movies and that's why they're so good because they're so uh, personal and specific. Yeah, and this one is a fascinating kind of moral story as well. I mean, so Father is it Garpe? I don't know how to pronounce it. Garupe. Garupe yeah. um, is he's kind of the perfect priest in terms of the 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 dogma and the beliefs of the time. He's he's the guy who seems to have it. I don't know, figured out a little. I didn't at, at first. Uh, yeah, he he. I actually maybe thought the opposite of him, where really? where it's he's full of doubt in the end he kind of yeah i would say maybe yeah you're right Uh, but what i liked about him the most is uh, i um thought a lot about saint peter you know how he uh it's just questioning everything like he he, um doesn't take anything uh almost at face value even he's totally which i totally get it's like a metaphor for any kind of like acting or poetry Mm -hmm. or uh, to relate it back to silent or patterson i guess but uh, just the the crisis of faith that happens uh, along with anything doing anything that's um uh, that, uh, anything that you believe in you know he's made a commitment to be a priest and be you know with the jesuits but along the way it's like w- what are we doing here why are we here is this even having an effect and mm. that i relate to it's like why <laughs> why am i an actor why am i you know uh, hold, holding this thing in my head. like, what? What is? Uh, is? Is anybody watching this? Does this mean anything? Does it not mean anything? I'm away from my family. Why am I? Why am I doing this? You know, like uh, I, I'm bad at it. You know, like all of these <laughs> things. Uh, that kind of crisis of faith, I think, is really um, play. interesting. Yeah, yeah in- interesting yeah. Uh, theme to explore. Yeah, I, I guess. Fair yeah. enough. Um, I'm I'm going to ask very quickly about episode eight because I know you basically can't tell me anything, but maybe you can help me with one key issue that I had coming out of episode seven. Okay. Um, does Kylo Ren have thousands of tiny hair dryers in his helmet? Because I've <laughs> never seen a man more resistant to hat hair. He, uh, well, you know, he's very powerful. So that he uses the force. Yeah, he uses the force, and that, that even uh, uh, goes to every hair follicle. Wow. Yeah. Wow. He's a powerful guy. The force is really a useful thing to have. Doesn't That's mess around. Yeah. Um, are you sick of being in the UK now after after all this filming here? No, no. It <laughs> feels very comfortable actually coming back because you've been here for for so long. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Have you got much? Are you guys finished? Have you much more to do? Mostly finished. Finished second one. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, so yeah. gearing up for the next one. I don't know. 
I don't wow. know. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank for you very to much. Cheers. Adam Driver there will be tackling Patterson in two weeks' time. Helen is still a buzz after that interview because you, uh, you know, you, you, you like the Kylo Ren, don't you? I do. I didn't tell him that I thought he was better than Vader because, you know, I thought he'd probably have the same reaction you did. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was to announce you as an unbeliever. <laughs> but uh, no, he was, he was a delight, actually. It was really, really nice. All right. Awesome. Uh, so let's move on to movie reviews now. Uh, the big film this week is Arrival, uh, which stars Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner and Forrest Whitaker, directed by Denis Villeneuve. Have at it, Hells. I will. Uh, this is the film that Amy Adams should win her Oscar for this year if she wins over the likes of Natalie Portman. Um, after last week's Nocturnal Animals, this she ain't is. Gonna win. It, well, you never know. Ain't gonna win. It could happen. Ain't She's got the narrative. Win. All anyway. the a narrative. What? Except for the ones of David Lynch. Oh, you mean. Oh, the, yes. I know. DiCaprio's narrative. Anyway. Oh, the DiCaprio narrative. <laughs> oh. oh. Let's get back to the review. Oh, yes. Arrival is a, a sort of a science fiction story. So uh, we meet Amy Adams's uh, linguist. She's a college professor. And she is uh, called in by the army, by the government, to deal with uh, the arrival of aliens. So these strange ships are hovering at various spots, apparently randomly chosen all over the world. Uh, and someone needs to figure out how to communicate with these beings. So every, I think it's 18 hours, they open up a place in their ship. You can go inside and there's a sort of a viewing gallery where they can stay on their side of the glass in their atmosphere. We can stay on the other side in ours and uh, and discussions can be held. So she's basically sent in uh, with Jeremy Renner's physicist on the basis that once they do establish some means of communication maths and physics are the universal language so he, they figure that he can you know have meaningful conversations at that point um, the two of them go in with you know assorted military bods to back them up and they have to try and figure out this language and they're working with teams from all over the world who are doing the same thing with all of their alien ships nearby and they're all exchanging information and trying to figure out the alien language and Basically, uh, it's a sort of a, a very cerebral take on first contact. This is the ex- if, if Independence Day is at one end of the spectrum, this is the other end of it. Uh, it's up there with sort of it's maybe not quite as weird as Solaris, but it's it's in that part of the alien co- um, contact spectrum. Um, and it's and it's really fascinating the kind of stuff that it deals with. It just deals with trying to decipher language, trying to find common ground with someone you have no common ground with, and how seeing things from someone else's point of view can fundamentally change your reality as well. Um, but it does it in much trickier, more interesting, more exciting ways than maybe I'm kind of explaining there. Um, I thought this was phenomenal. It's a great, great performance from from Adams because she is clearly, you, well, you'll see why at the beginning of the film, but she is clearly grief-stricken, traumatised uh, and, and, you know, troubled before she goes into this incredibly draining process of trying to figure out something that the whole future of the world may depend on. Uh, and And it's kind of her toughness and her kind of, ability to to engage her intellect in in the midst of all that and and try and you know figure this thing out for the sake of all mankind and potentially all alien kind as well uh it's it's really interesting both both as a character study and as a piece of science fiction because this is i think the science fiction that often gets overlooked at the movies this is the think thinky 
um, intellectual science fiction which doesn't necessarily make great movies. This is sort of the Nine Billion Names of God. This is some of the robot stories that haven't been adapted for probably very good reasons. They wouldn't make good movies. Um, and it's it's always interesting to get into those kind of meaty concepts because at the, at the root of it, I think a lot of science fiction, the best science fiction, is all about what what humanity is and how we interact with the universe rather than anything else. And, and this absolutely gets into those kind of questions. So I loved it. I thought it was great. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think this is possibly in my top three films of the year. It's really fascinating. It's one of those films that I was thinking about for hours afterwards, days afterwards. Yeah. One of my favourite scenes is where Amy Adams, who plays essentially like a linguist, she's yeah. a language expert, and she, she has a sentence and she breaks it down word by word and explains the, the complications, the complexities of trying to translate this single very simple sentence to an alien species who have never come across any sort of word-based language before. Yeah. Uh, and that's fascinating and it make, makes you think about language and communication and society and, you know, what would happen if we had extraterrestrial beings enter our world. I mean, it is one of those sci-fis that really makes you sort of, yeah, ponder for a long time. Mm. And what's great about Denis Villeneuve, who did um, Sicario and he did yeah. Prisoners and he's doing Blade Runner 2, is that he sort of works within these genre boundaries, but he doesn't talk down to the audience. He's not afraid of... Of presenting quite sort of weighty concepts yeah. and getting the audience to sort of decipher it for themselves. There is one guy I know of who went to see this and did not understand the ending of the movie. Mm. Like fundamentally, there's a fundamental shift. Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't call it twists, which is why I mention it because I wouldn't mention if it was a twist. But there's a fundamental shift in perspective, I think, towards the end of the film and. It isn't over-explained. I thought it was crystal clear, but a couple of people have had trouble with it. So if you come out of this and you haven't, you feel like you don't understand anything at the end of the film, do have a read of the short story synopsis, which is on Wikipedia. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit of a cheat, but it will explain what exactly just happened. It's interesting. I think this is a film which rewards repeat viewings mm -hmm. in a big way. Definitely. I think um, going in, like the, <clears throat> the opening scenes, I was watching and thinking, oh, this is quite cliched. This is a bit stupid. And and by the end of it, it made total sense. Yeah. I don't want to say too too much, but, but it's the sort of film which pulls the rug under you a little bit. So what you think you're watching is not what's actually happening. Yeah. Uh, mm. And it does it in a very clever way. It plays with with you know, sort of cinematic conventions. Yes, yeah. but it's but it's clever with emotion, and it's not yes. it's not just clever clever in the in the way that some slightly sterile kind of um, sci-fi films made by certain directors can be. Uh, I think this one has a lot more heart than some Christopher Nolan films. <laughs> I was going to say, who could you possibly be referring to? <laughs> um, okay, so. Five, five stars, stars for yeah. arrival. I liked it a lot. I didn't. I didn't think it was a five um, for me. But hey, I'm weird. On and, your own. I know. I'm on my own. I'm not. I'm not on my own. You're kind of on I'm your own. Around. I'm, I'm, I'm completely on my own. I, it didn't move me. Oh, it didn't move me. You monster. I am a monster. I am uh, utterly without empathy. I could be. Pr no, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> uh, it's uh, yeah. It's it's very very good and she is fantastic Amy Adams and uh, Renner's good as well. Renner's very yeah, good, yeah. And uh, it's it's wonderfully directed and it uh, it it, it it's uh, beautifully put together by Denis Villeneuve and his team. I don't know. It just didn't didn't get me didn't get me there, guys. Didn't get me there. 
maybe I need a second viewing because Inside Out didn't get me there either. You know, initially, see, first time around. See, Second time around, it did. Monster. Yeah, monster. Uh, the short story it's based on is very good as well, though. Yeah, it's uh, great. It's really dense, though. I mean, it's all about linguistics and and it's it's very, you have to, oh, I need to read that back again because that was a little bit, what, what? It's like, like a textbook. And they take that stuff out of this movie and they make it a bit more action oriented as well. Yeah, it's not by any means an action action movie, but no. it does keep, it keeps moving. It's pacing. Yeah, there's peril yeah. in this and there, yeah. there isn't in the uh, short story, which is interesting. Uh, yes, five stars for Arrival. Very, very good. It is one of the year's best. Also out this week, we have Hugh McGregor's directorial debut, American Pastoral, which uh, also stars Hugh McGregor and Jennifer Connelly and Dakota Fanning. Uh, I don't think I've seen on the big screen for ages. Where's she been? Uh, she's probably been around. College, probably. College, all that sort of stuff. Uh, and this is an adaptation of the Philip Roth novel, John Nugent. Yes, this is an adaptation of the Philip Roth novel. Uh, and if anyone's ever read that novel, you'll know it's it, it's got a reputation for being unadaptable. It, it, it's a very complex novel. It's, it's told over multiple decades. It spans from roughly the 1940s to the present day. Uh, it's told through several different narrators. One one of those narrators, you're not even sure if it's really uh, reality, if it's just a sort of imagined reality. So it's a very, very tough book to adapt for cinema. Very, very complex. And I think any, any director would have trouble uh, adapting it, let alone a first-timer like Hugh McGregor, who obviously is very experienced in cinema, but he's never been behind the camera before. And I do feel it is a challenge that he could not quite meet. So the, the basic story is, uh, so Hugh McGregor plays this guy called The Swede. Uh, that's his nickname. He's, he's basically a Jewish-American uh, in the 1950s. He's sort of like the high school prom king. He's like the alpha male. He's the quarterback. He has a sort of perfect life in, um, in rural New Jersey. Um, he marries, yeah, so he marries Jennifer Connelly, who's the, the sort of Gentile beauty queen. And they have a daughter together they, uh, who called Mary, who grows up to become uh, Dakota Fanning. And, you know, life is life is good for a long time. And then uh, the 1960s happens. Uh, Mary gets mixed up in turbulent politics of the time. And things start to go wrong for the Swedes. And, I mean, you know, all teenagers go off the rails a little bit. But uh, not all teenagers blow up post offices. So this is a bit more of an extreme version of a... a teenage troubles let's say and then Mary goes missing and the rest of the film essentially is the Swedes trying to track down his daughter and trying to get to grips with what's happened to his family the, the whole family deteriorates as a result of this this tragedy and it, in the book it's it's a very it's it's sort of almost played as an analogy for America as a whole. There's a lot of complex metaphors. Uh, there's, a, there's a sort of commentary on, on American politics in the 1960s. In this film, it's basically a very drab melodrama. There's, there's not a lot that's exciting or interesting. It starts off quite well, and then it becomes just Ewan McGregor hunting for his daughter and, and crying a lot. And... It just feels a bit flat. There's nothing sort of uh, that that compels you to watch it. It's um, you know, it's it's very handsomely done. It's a period piece, and it looks very nice. And you, McGregor, seems to have a good eye. But uh, yeah, I I just don't think it translates to the screen. One of the problems is the book is very internal. 
so Philip Roth writes some very long, thoughtful narrator type yeah. uh, passages. The, his, his, his prose is very dense. That's all lost in this in, in this adaptation, and it, so to an extent, it's not really Ewan McGregor's fault. I think that's just inevitable in adapting a book like this. But I just don't. I don't think it. I don't think it works. And I, I, I think anyone would have trouble. And it's a shame. It's actually the first of two Philip Roth adaptations in the next two weeks. There's Indignation next week as well, which is James okay. Seamus's first film. So I mean, you've got to hand it to first-time directors for tackling <laughs> a famously difficult to adapt yes. uh, writer. But you know, yeah. There's been a few Philip Roth adaptations, and I don't think any of them have been no. all that successful. You know, he's an amazing writer, and maybe he doesn't really belong on screen um so we yes it's two stars unfortunately for american pastor i wanted to like it and it was you know there's a very sort of earnest intention to it i, I don't think um it's not like a, a laughable disaster um it's just it just doesn't work Fair sadly enough. another rage-fueled career ended rant <laughs> <laughs> From John Nugent there. Two stars then for American Pastoral. Also out this week we have 100 Streets, produced by and starring Idris Elba. It's an anthology movie, a triptych movie, not an anthology movie, a triptych about a number of Londoners whose lives intersect. Uh, movie is fine. Just fine. Nothing to worry about. It's three stars for that one. <laughs> but another film that's worth your time this week, if you have a spare six and a half hours, <laughs> is the remastered re stored, refurbished, rescued everything version of Abelgance's 1927 movie about Napoleon. It's called Napoleon. Uh, I believe it's at the BFI this week and and art house cinemas around the country. It was res- restored. It was found by a guy called Kevin Brownlow uh, who's written a book about his his journey and his, his quest to restore this movie. Um, and it's six and a half hours, pretty much, give or take. Uh, but it's all about Napoleon. But they uh, do give you tea breaks, so it's yes, important do. to mention. They I mean, do. it's not a movie, is it, really? Let's be honest, it's a miniseries. It's like... You, well, it's binge-watching, isn't yeah, it? But they it's didn't like, have those in 1927, yeah. so, you know, it's We've got to present it to people in a way that's palatable now, so go and binge-watch Napoleon. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> right. At the BFI and other cinemas around the country. I mean, it's only half an hour longer than the Gilmore Girls films are going to be, yeah. so, like... And it's shorter than your average Netflix odyssey. Very similar in content as well to the Gilmore Girls. (laughs) Yeah, a few hundred thousand more extras, I think, but pretty similar. Of course, I haven't seen Napoleon myself yet because I don't have the spare six and a half hours, but um, I haven't even seen Luke Cage yet, so I'm going to get around to watching that. Um, Either of those, especially when I've got to catch up on this week's MasterChef The Professionals. (sighs) I think I may have spotted where your time is going. You think? Yeah. All right. I've got a clue. We'll discuss it afterwards. All right. Okay. So there you go. Anyway, don't do as I do. Do as I say. <laughs> Napoleon, six and a half hours. Uh, right. And that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Uh, join us next week for more Formulated Fun. We'll be joined by David Ayuelowo and uh, Rosamund Pike, stars of the United Kingdom, which is out on November 25th. But we're bringing everything forward from November 25th because it's a big jamboree. Hooray. It's a very, very exciting. Oh, and I say join us next week more film related fun I may not be here <gasps> I may be taking my first week off of the year this is exciting I thought I'd wait until you. the end of the year before I started taking a holiday uh, might come in I'm not sure yet we'll see got a lot of stuff to do uh, anyway um, Catch up but if I am at home I'll be 
I'll be at home in my pants as opposed to being here in my pants which is yeah, obviously we keep asking I wanted to give you guys a break right until then because who knows you might you might be doing this next week okay so see what I did this week don't do that <laughs> don't, don't do this do your own thing uh, until then it's farewell from Helen toodaloo it's goodbye from John goodbye and it's goodbye from me I'm off to destroy my copy of Home Alone 2 Lost in New York why no reason Everything's fine. Just fine. Nothing to worry about. It's all good. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.